And everybody said, Amen. Grab your Bibles real quickly. I'm going to start a new series that's going to carry us through Easter that I'm simply entitling Jesus Is. I'm going to do my best to communicate what I feel in my heart this morning. I know it's getting close to 12, and I know some of y'all got to eat because your sugar will drop if you don't eat. Some of y'all, you claim your sugar will drop, but if you don't eat, it's just because you're one of those that think you got to eat. Amen. Because you feel like you get hangry and you need a Snickers. Amen. John 8, verse 1. John 8, verse 1, a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm starting this series called Jesus Is, and today I want to preach to you. Jesus is a sympathetic Savior. He is a sympathetic Savior. John 8 and verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. Now notice verse 4. In the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus simply stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Notice the language that happened. They call him teacher. Teacher, this woman was committing adultery and was caught in the very act. But notice her language. When he said, where are your accusers? She says, no one, Lord. Mm. Then he said in verse 11, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Thank God for his word this morning. Amen. One more time, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that your anointing would open our minds and our hearts to receive and understand what you are speaking in this moment. Lord, we thank you for your anointing and your sweet spirit that we have felt here this morning. Lord, I receive now that anointing that turns this preacher into your prophet that I may speak what thus says the word of the Lord unto this house. You are an awesome God, and Lord, we praise you and we glorify you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. One of the greatest traits 
that Jesus ever carried and displayed consistently was that of one of being sympathetic to fallen humanity. He consistently was showing his true purpose, which was to bring life and life more abundantly towards us. He didn't seek to leave anyone in the fray that were held tight by their bondage, but he came to make people free and truly free according to Scripture indeed. He says he didn't come to heal those who didn't need healing. Amen? Is what the Bible says because Scripture declares to us that Jesus himself says that those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. And then he says, I did not come the righteous to come to call the righteous. Righteous meaning self-righteous. Righteous not meaning those who were righteous. Righteous meaning those who thought they were righteous and thought everybody else was going to hell in a handbasket soaked in gasoline. He says that I've come to call out the sinner to repentance. With that said, then, he came to save those who knew that they were in desperate need as they could not get out of the situations of life simply by themselves. Here Jesus seems to find himself in a predicament. As what he stated in Matthew's version of the gospel about sinners to repentance was now about to be personified here in John's gospel. John records this woman's sin and finds her in desperate need for a life change as is very evident by the accusation that she was caught under as well as by the accusation that not only did they accuse her of by what they actually caught her in. The Bible says that the woman herself is found in a severe quandary simply because of the fact that she is caught in the very act of the sin of adultery. It's amazing to me that Verse 4 says that they caught her in the very act because in order to catch somebody, it means that you've got to know where they are, what they were doing, at what time they would be doing that. And so therefore they knew every aspect regarding her failure, meaning that they knew where to find her. Possibly they were with her at one time or another. Possibly that they, because they knew where to find her, they had watched her and scoped her out. Maybe she was uh, fooling around with some of them. We don't know. All we know is that the Bible says evidently they knew where she was because had they not known where she was, then they would not have been able to find her where she was. Isn't it amazing that Jesus knows all about us, but yet he never airs your dirty laundry? Hello, isn't that the truth? I'm thankful that even though he knows everything about me, that he knows my failings, he knows where I stand strong, he knows where I'm weak, that he don't go around and tell everybody about your dirty laundry. Amen? But he keeps it concealed to himself because as Paul says that that which you have committed unto him against that day that he is able and willing to keep it and not reveal it to everybody around you. Amen? So the Bible says that here is this woman. She's either the talk of the town or either known but here she is regardless before Jesus. What I find interesting that not only did they know about her, 
But Jesus knew whom he was dealing with and knew her failures probably better and more than anybody else. For the Bible tells us in Luke 12, 12, for nothing, there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor anything that is hidden that will not be known. What do you mean by that, Pastor? He knows and he exposes, but he reacts differently than others as he's not looking to expose you before the church, but he's looking to expose you to himself because he knows with exposure to him that he is able then to apply the blood to your life and to cleanse you and to make you whole and to make you new from what you feel like that you struggle with and you're wrestling with and you can't seem to break in your life. He is able to cleanse you. Hallelujah. I'm thankful that he's able to cleanse all unrighteous things this morning. Amen? So he's able to cleanse. Here is Jesus. Here he is ready to take care of, ready to heal, ready to minister to her as she was brought to him unwillingly. Thank God that he is a perfect, sympathetic Savior that will wash you and make you new. Looking at the text today, the first thing we see is the sinful woman. The Bible tells us about her sin because the Bible says that she's caught in the very act of adultery. She was guilty before the face of the Lord as she was brought before the literal face of the Lord. And not only was she guilty before the face of the Lord, but she is also guilty before the face of those who were around her in her community. She's guilty. Adultery is a vile sin, but let me tell you this. Adultery is not any worse of a sin than anything else. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because sin is sin, whether it's what you like to classify as little sins or whether it's those big areas of life that we like to classify, sin is sin. If you are doing something that is contradictory to God's word, then guess what you are doing? Sin. But thank God we've got a sympathetic Savior this morning. Amen? Because the thing is this, if we never ever committed a sin with our bodies or our mind or your heart or whatever else, the facts are we would still be guilty before the Lord. How do you know that? Because the Bible says to us, what I mean to us, those of us who are not in situations that have not ever known what it is to not face the Lord, I realize that there are some situations out there that that I believe that the Lord has mercy upon, especially when an infant passes away. Why? Because they didn't ever have a chance to ever know anything and never know this world really. So I don't believe that God would send a baby that never knew anything to hell, but I do believe that God picks them up and takes them in his care, amen. I do believe that. You may not believe that, and that's okay if you don't, but I do believe that. I believe the millions of babies that have been aborted in our country, that when we get to heaven, we're going to realize how we messed up a whole generation, and we messed up prophets and teachers and evangelists and the greatest pastors that the world may have ever known simply because we thought it was a choice. Hello? But the Bible says that all of us are guilty. How do you know that? Because the Bible says for all of us in Romans, it tells us that all of us fall short of the glory of God. 
The Bible also says that all have committed sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Why does the Bible say that? Because the Bible wants you to understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Here was the woman. She was a sinner. We see her sin. We also see her shame. In their haste to bring this woman to Jesus, her accusers didn't give her sufficient time probably to get properly dressed to be out in public. We ain't going there. You just go there yourself. However, they may have been, and they might have allowed her to, we don't know, but she is certainly humiliated by the public accusation and the disclosure of the sin that they are accusing her of. Now, sin is a very shameful thing. No matter how skillfully it is hidden from the eyes of men, Jesus knows about it, and one day it's going to be revealed. I've already preached on that. But the saddest of all is this, that the truth about your profession will also be made public one day. Wouldn't it be far better, amen, to get everything done right now than to wait till that day when everything will be revealed and everything will be made known? That's the way it'd be better to me. So we see that this woman is brought before Jesus. She was brought here. We see her sin. We see her shame. And we also see this woman's sentence. Her accusers were absolutely correct that according to law that she deserves to die. But there was one small problem here. They brought the woman, but they did not bring the partner. Are you with me? They brought the woman who was accused of adultery, but didn't bring the partner. May I submit to you that the religious crowd don't like it when folks start getting into their sin versus them being in everybody else's sin. May I submit to you that if you are religious, you probably already don't like me simply because of the fact that I've already told you that we love to judge somebody's sin that is different than ours rather than judge the thing that we struggle with the most. This is probably exactly what is going on here. They knew the guy she was with, and they said, uh-uh, we can't, we can't expose him. He is one of us. He is a religious person. He, he knows everything, so we can't do that. We must, we must keep him concealed and not reveal it. Thank God, hallelujah, that when they brought her to Jesus and they tried to do all of this, that maybe Jesus, when he stooped down to write in the ground, maybe, just maybe, he wrote the man's name down too. How do you know that? Because Leviticus says that both of them were supposed to die for the sin that they were committing. However, that didn't happen, but yet we find that they tried to mess her up but thank God when you bring somebody to Jesus, only he can mess them up because he turns them around out of the mess that they were in and he says, I'll change their life for the better. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. So here he was. The woman was brought to Jesus, but she was brought to Jesus to trap Jesus 
because they forgot that they were bringing her to the right place. And so they forgot that he's the one that in his marvelous grace takes that which is drudge and the thing that nobody else wants and then he polishes it up and turns it into a vessel that everybody would like to use. Amen. So not only do we see the sinful woman in this story, but we also see when we begin to talk about him being a sympathetic savior, we see the scheming critic. We see their plan. These men had it in their heads that they were going to pin Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. If Jesus lets the woman go, then he would be seen as being real easy on sin and could have been arrested for being in violation of the law. But if he gave her permission to be killed, he then could have been accused before Rome as trying to upstart things and a seditionist, and he would have destroyed his reputation as being the friend of publicans and sinners. They felt that no matter what Jesus said, that he had no wiggle room. And these religious men are just like the legalists in our day. They couldn't have cared less about this woman, her sin, her soul, or her eternal destiny. But what they cared about the most was pressing an agenda. Come on now. And their brand of righteousness. Did you know that things haven't changed today? That all Pharisees are the same. They just show up with a different face. What do you mean? Well, your dress isn't long enough. You can't come in our church. Well, you like to wear those fancy looking socks and you're not allowed to come in our church. Well, you don't wear a tie every Sunday. You're not allowed in our church. Well, we got praise team members that sing with pants like that pastor's wife. My God in heaven. Pharisees show up the same way but with a different face. They are pushing an agenda. They are pushing something that tries to make everybody else fall in line to what they want and what they see. But let me tell you something. This ain't about you and it ain't about me. This is about grace. And grace says you come as you are, like you are, when you do, because grace says I can take you and change you. I can make you new. I can get in your heart and get out all of that mess out of your life. I can take you and make your life one that nobody else wanted, but I'll take your life and make it one that, that I'll raise you up and they'll look at you and say that had to be God because I knew them when they were this. Ain't that right, Joe Singleton? I knew him when he was a drug dealer. I knew him when he was this. I knew him when he was that. But look at God and what he has done and what God is about to do. Amen. But see, here is their own problems. Is their plan might have succeeded with an ordinary man. But see, they did not realize that they were dealing with the word. And the word's name is Jesus. And he simply refused to play by their rules. When they tried to stump him, they discovered that they had met their match. Notice how that he responded to their arguments. Verse number six tells us that he simply ignored them. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When 
when they were trying to attack and they were talking to him, he simply knelt down and wrote. He had no use for their pettiness and lack of love for sinners. What did Jesus write? For 2,000 years, people have been trying to discover what he wrote. But let me tell you this, hallelujah, I'm not gonna give you a deep theological answer today. I'm simply gonna give you this. I don't know. And then I'm gonna give you even deeper theology. What is that? I don't care. Why is that, pastor? When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. Go ahead. I'm going to be too busy worshiping and thanking him for letting me in the gate. Amen? However, we just know that they were exposed. How do you know that he's exposed? That he exposed them? Because while he's riding in the ground, I, I, I love this imagery. While he is riding in the ground, can't you see it? Can't you hear it? as stones begin to drop. How do you know that? Because while he's writing, he just simply says, the one that's without sin, I need you to throw the first stone. The one that knew no sin was writing in the ground, and he could have threw stones all day long. But yet he didn't chose to throw a stone, he chose to roll one away. Hello? So he's writing in the ground. He could have threw rocks, but he didn't. You know what he says, if you're without sin, throw a rock. And all of a sudden, rocks start falling. Rocks start hitting the ground again. And people's feet start shuffling away. And yet Jesus looks at the woman and he looks at her and says, Woman, where are your accusers at? And what did she reply to Jesus? She said, after he said, where are your accusers? Then he said, has anybody condemned you? And she says simply, no one Lord. In other words, they're not here. Here's the thing about adultery and about sin such as what they were in and Jesus writing and ignoring them as they dropped all the rocks. Just think about sin with anything. Sin can be committed with your body but it can also be committed with your head and your heart and never exemplify itself in your body or make itself known in your body. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because sin really, really isn't what my hands find themselves doing or my feet find itself walking. Sin really is a matter of what my heart is doing before it is ever brought forth as sin in my life. Because I guarantee you that before you ever did what you did, that your heart was sitting there meditating on it for days on end before you actually did it. And you were trying to resist the urge. And you were trying to keep it at bay. But yet you finally succumbed to what your heart wanted to do. How do you know that, Pastor? Because the Bible tells us in Proverbs that out of the heart flows the issues of life. What is that saying to us? That is saying this, that your heart has struggles. That your heart has problems. And if you don't get control and lock down your heart, then that's when your heart and all of its issues 
starts getting into what your hands do and where your feet go and what your mind thinks about. That's why scripture tells you that you've got to read the word and you've got to get the word in your heart and you've got to get the word in your mind. That's how you renew the mind. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that the word is for washing you. Why? Because it brings a filter in your life. This was the issues with those who showed up to Jesus. They had forgotten about their own sin because apparently they hadn't been in the word enough because had they been in the word enough, they would have realized that their sin was just as bad as her sin and that they needed to get their sin situated before they ever revealed her sin. Amen. And the last thing you see we're going to end right here. We're going to land this thing. The last thing you see here is simply this. You see the sympathetic Savior. We see him facing her. Only Jesus could have cleared the temple after that fashion. When the last rock hit the floor, Jesus stood up and simply faced her. As he stood up, he was the only one who was ever qualified to take up a stone as well as the rest and stone her to death. But when she faced Jesus, she's facing the ultimate judge. She's reached the place where she's left alone with the Savior. Because it's always going to come down to that point where you're going to have to get alone with God for yourself. You can't go on mama and daddy's coattail to heaven. I wish you could because then I wouldn't worry about my kids. Because you know what I pray every day? Lord, let something that Tracy and I say or do, let it reach them, let it get to them. Let them know you. Why? Because I don't want them to know church. People know enough church. I want them to know Jesus, the Christ of the church. Why? Because church ain't going to change your life. There's enough religion in church. But if they get a relationship with Jesus, my Lord in heaven, he'll rearrange everything. He'll change your life for the better if you just get one good relationship with him. So he forgives her. He gets her alone with him. He forgives her. Because the only one qualified to throw a stone refused to. And he dealt with her on the basis of compassion. The religious men condemned her, considered her as dead. But Jesus saw someone worthy of his love and saw somebody worth salvaging. So when she came to Jesus, she received two great blessings that forever changed her life. She received a new Lord by her simple Confession that Christ was Lord. I believe that salvation became hers in that moment. I do. Not only did she receive a new Lord, but she also received a new life. How do you know that? Because the final words of Jesus to her in John 8 and verse 11. He looks at her and he says, I don't condemn you either. And then he ends it this way. Go and sin no more. What was he saying to her? 
You don't have to succumb to your desires anymore. I've given you the power to resist and to fight it off. What do you mean, Pastor? When you get saved, am I not going to be tempted anymore? Please. I wish that was the case. Amen? <laughs> I wish the case weren't, you know, that I have to reel in my tongue because I'm tempted to bless folk out. I, I wish the case were that when folk pull out in front of me and I'm going at a good rate of speed and they decide to pull out in front of me to go two seconds down the road at the pace of a snail that I didn't have the temptation to go, Oh, I don't do that, Pastor. Yeah, because you're probably the one pulling out in front of us. <laughs> I know y'all too holy, y'all don't struggle like I do. God's still working on me. Amen. I know y'all holy. I'm bad, my bad, y'all holy. I wished it was that way. But unfortunately, it is not. But I'll tell you how it is. He's a gentle Savior. He's compassionate. And John puts in a little catch-22 type clause. He tells us in 1 John that we have an advocate with the Father. <laughs> what is he telling you? He's telling you this, that when and if you mess up, that you got somebody standing in your place. That when that time comes that you might give in to something and that you don't have to fall backwards back into your past and stay there. But he's telling you that if you do fail, learn how to fall forward. Forward into what? Into the grace of the loving arms of Jesus. Fall forward. Fall forward into what? Into his compassion. Learn to fall forward. Fall forward what? On your face to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. And I ask you to forgive me and make me new. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I had my Papa Smith sitting on his front screen in porch. And I was talking to him one day. And he and I was talking and I said, Pops, I said, I'm sorry, but, but I'm a hypocrite. Pop said, what you mean, son? You a hypocrite. I said, Pops, I'm a hypocrite. He said, what you mean you a hypocrite? I said, Pops, I'm struggling. I, I can't seem to do what I know to do. Pops looked at me, son. Is Jesus still on the throne? I said, yes, sir. He said, did Jesus die on the cross for your sin? I said, yes, sir. He said, did Jesus get up on the third day for you? I said, yes, sir. He said, why are you going to lay down and just lay around in your mess that he saved you from when he got up for you? And then you know what he said? What I just told you. He said, you know what you do? I can still hear that deep, gruffy voice that he had. He said, you know what you do? He said, you get on your knees and you fall forward. And he said, you get up and you dust them off and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. And he said, you get up and you go on. He said, you, but you know what's going to happen the moment you do that? I said, what, Pops? He said, the enemy's going to come around and say, see there, what you claim that you have, you don't have. 
And he said, but if you didn't have what you claimed that you had, why in the world would he be coming around telling you that you didn't have what you thought you had? What are you saying? That the enemy is the father of all lies. And if you didn't have a good dose of salvation, but yet you still find yourself messing up, why would he even worry about coming around to you and telling you to give up and quit if you didn't already have something in your life? But thank God you got something. Because if you got something, then he, he's worried about you. But if you didn't have it, he'd be leaving you alone. But you know what that tells me further? That I've got a sympathetic Savior that looks at me in all my mess and says, son, you'll be all right. Let's handle this together. Let's go in this together. Dust your knees off. Today was a bad day, but tomorrow's a new day. And the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. And you feel like you're struggling today, thank God the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Well, pastor, you're just giving people an easy, sleazy grace and, and they can just do what they want. That ain't what I'm preaching. Hear me out. I'm preaching that you ain't got to wall around in your mess that you can come out today in the name of Jesus and you can leave this place changed like you've never been before and you can leave this place knowing that God's got your back, that God loves you, that God has compassion on you and we ain't here to, to browbeat you and tell you you're a sinner gonna die and go to hell. We are here to say there's a way to heaven and his name is Jesus and he is the light of the world and he says that nothing is hidden that, that will not ever be exposed. But he says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've come and I am the light of the world. And you don't have to stay in darkness anymore, but you can come out of darkness and into my marvelous light and I will call you a royal nation, that royal priesthood. I'll call you who you are, that you are a child of mine and you can leave this place knowing that my hand is on your life, that I've raised you up for such a time as this and you don't have to live by the devil anymore. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you today for your goodness. Thank you today, Lord, that you love us right where we are. Hallelujah. And Lord, there's some folks in this room right now that they got struggles. There's some folk in this room right now, God, that are wrestling, that are fighting an old lifestyle, that feel ashamed. But Lord, I thank you today that in the name of Jesus, that we have a Savior that cares, and that right where we are, that you've got compassion. And you call us to dust our knees off and to fall forward into your grace and to fall forward into your compassion and to fall forward into your arms of love and to fall forward into your holiness and your righteousness today. Lord, I pray for those in here that have not settled it in their heart that they want to follow after you. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That God, that today that they would see they got to make some things right. Lord, we love you and we praise you for what you're about to do in the next few moments. 
In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed in this room right now. I'm going to ask that if you would please limit moving around as much as you possibly can. If you would say to me, Pastor, I'm fighting. I'm struggling. I've not been the best that I can be. I know it. I'm a hypocrite. I'm one way one minute, another way the next minute. I know it. I, I, I've got it there. Pastor, that's where I'm at. Or you might say, Pastor, I'm not right with the Lord. And I need that Savior today to change my life. Or you might say, I'm, I'm still living in bondage to some things. And I've got to make those things right. I need God to forgive me and change me. Would you raise your hand or look at me or something right now? Raise your hand or look at me or something. If you say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm fighting. I'm wrestling with some things. I'm struggling with some sin. I'm struggling with some issues. And I need the Lord to handle it for me. Would you raise your hand or look at me or something and say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Who else? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in this room right now. Who in here would say, Pastor, I have not committed my life to Jesus Christ. And today, I'm going to make a commitment to Christ. Today, I'm going to get myself right where I need to be. Because I am not right. And I know I'm not right. And I know if I die right now, Pastor, I'm not going to heaven. But I need to make a change in my life. Would you raise your hand right now or look at me, wiggle your nose, wiggle your ear or something and just say, Pastor, that's where I'm at. I don't know Jesus and I need to get my life right. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Those of you in this room that have raised your hand, those of you that needed to raise your hand but you didn't, I'm going to count to three. And this is the way I feel it this morning. There's an urgency in this room right now. When I get to three, I want you to run to this altar. If you say, Pastor, I'm too embarrassed to go. I want you to grab somebody by the hand and look over at them and say, will you go with me? I need to go. Will you go with me? One, two, three. Come, down, come, come, come. Get to the Psalter now. The Holy Spirit's going to touch you today. God's going to minister to you. God's going to help you. Come on. Let's do it now. Come on, come on, come on. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come, now, come, come, come. Come, now's the moment. Now's the time. Now's the time. Now's the time. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There's more of you. Come. Come. I'm going to ask all of you that will, will you come and would you gather around these that are in the altar and ask that the Lord will touch them. If you need to be up here, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, the Holy Spirit's moving in this place right now. God's touching. God's ministering. God's going to help you. God's going to strengthen you today.
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing.